welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast 2022 Toronto International Film Festival preview episode spectacular. I am your host. I'm joined, as always, year in, year out, in our hearts by John Cripps. How are you doing today, John? How am I doing? We're back, man. I'm doing great. <laughs> Love being back in Toronto. It's We're back. Fantastic. You are, I can already tell you, this whole conversation, I'm just going to keep telling you to move to a different position since we have to share one microphone. <laughs> Get moved in front of this fucking mic or I'm going to kill you. Okay, so we are going to talk about, we have been going to Toronto since what year did we first start going together? Here's my history with the Toronto Film Festival. I used to program a movie theater. They sent me up here by myself to go to the Toronto Film Festival. I went, and it's in September every year, uh, the first weekend after Labor Day, the first weekend of NFL football, and I attended the festival, and uh, I enjoyed it uh, well enough, I think. And then in the spring, I went to the Hot Docs Film Festival by myself again. And I both of these trips I found being alone incredibly depressing. I was just depressed to be alone and traveling and watching movies and and I did not enjoy it. So the following year in 2005, I had my buddy John Cribbs join me for the festival and our friend Paul Cooney. Is that am I remembering this correctly, John? You are. You actually invited me to come up in 2004. Uh, and my response was, am I going to be able to see any movies? And you're like, well, no, you wouldn't have a pass or anything. And I was like, well, then it's a pass. I would like to go up and see some movies. <laughs> so we ended up working that out. And so I came the next year. Yeah. So the way that this works for us is John and I both have what's called a Toronto industry pass where they show these non-public screenings all day at the Scotiabank Theater in the Bell Lightbox. And if you have an industry pass, you can go and see as many movies as you want all day. You don't get individual tickets. It's first come first serve and you can see basically everything on the schedule i feel like each year there's like one or two movies that are somehow impossible to see but out of whatever amount of movies they show 200 movies Mm -hmm. 300 movies there's only like one that you can't see for whatever reason and so we've been coming and doing this for years now um several years ago before covid the festival has not been happening in person for covid and the year before covid marcus penn at some point our good buddy marcus penn started joining us for the festival as well I was sick of it I was sick of coming and I said I'm going to take a year off from going to the festival and so I took a year off and then COVID happened and I missed three or four years of it because of this and with my own illness and COVID and uh, taking the year off there were just all these problems that kept me from coming back so I definitely am thrilled to be back here it has felt very good to be walking around uh, temperate and lovely downtown Toronto It is definitely a city that is the correct temperature for me, these lovely fall temperatures. And every year I say when I go to Toronto, when I leave New York, and New York was fucking hot as shit when I left today, New York is summertime, and when I come back after Toronto, it's fall. Every time it's like I leave in the summer and I come back and it's fall every time. I feel the same way. I love love coming here and (laughs) having the breeze start blowing between the buildings, and uh, it's just a nice time to be here. And... uh, this year, the the Jays, you know, have a chance to come. Oh, the Jays. We just drove through quite a rabid crowd of Blue Jays fans. Literally just plowed through them because there's no laws in Canada. <laughs> if you're an American, your might makes right sensibility can just be inflicted on Canadian citizens. You can make them do whatever you want. They submit to your will. And I don't follow baseball at all. I had to find out from my mom, who is a rabid Orioles fan, that the Jays and the Orioles are in a deadlock for the wild card slot. And that's why <laughs> that's why everyone is super excited for the Jays. 
Jays. First time ever because I've gone to a Blue Jays game here in Toronto and it was sparsely populated. Yeah, I, I try and go and do something extracurricular like that every year, like go to a Blue Jays game or go to a, the, the, the Royal Shoe Museum or things of that nature. <laughs> and you are right, the Blue Jays game, there's like 15 people there. Tickets are 14 cents Canadian and uh, the hot dogs are free. It's Canada. They're socialists up here. They run their country very poorly. That's why we control them as Americans. <laughs> That's why they're they're not even our kid brother. They're just like they're our pet. America, Canada is America's dog. So um, and no, it's great to be up here. I really enjoy it when I'm up here. We used to for the site write extensively about Toronto, like write about every movie we went to. We'd do these big previews. This year we thought we'd record a preview. We ba- we basically haven't been here since we've doing been doing the podcast. Really, no. Uh, you know, I haven't I haven't been around for it. So we're gonna do a podcast episode in the format that we used to do our written preview episodes where we're each going to pick three films we're interested in three films we really don't want to see and a wild card that's our plan correct that's the idea yeah i actually even had three wild cards just just to have backups wild cards it's a wild wild card we just got in we drive every year too john and i take a long road trip up here together i drive up to scenic poughkeepsie new york and as soon as i pick john up each year i remind him you don't have to live in this city you can live anywhere in the world and if I get him from Poughkeepsie I save him from Poughkeepsie and his atrocious overgrown lawn and we drive up to Toronto Canada and we just got in got our passes and we're in the hotel so if we sound like a loopy insane people this is the reason for it it's my mask coming off through my (laughs) hysteria of long driving John is there a very pleasant trip yeah it was a ton of fun it's ton I, I miss doing this uh I missed the whole thing. I missed the whole experience. Uh, I'm sad Marcus couldn't come uh, to it, but he's a sellout who prizes his job over the adventurous spirit of brotherhood and a love of movies. Look, I'll just put it this way. Marcus Penn doesn't love movies enough to be here. It's like, it's something that like, yeah, he like looks at him and makes comparison, but does he love movies? I'm not sure he does. I think he cares more about supporting his family. He's selfish. Well, he doesn't even need to support his family. His wife makes bank. He could be a deadbeat. <laughs> He's also got a beautiful one-year-old boy that I would I couldn't be able to leave. <laughs> um, why don't we get why do we get into this? Do we need more yeah. preamble? Well, do I we have feel, a plan? I only you feel know what? Like what was thing. my plan that I pitched you in the car that you declined to do? What when I got in the car? I said, John, let's record all seven hours of the road trip and release that as one episode and you declined to do it. So you're in charge, Hotshot. Well, I think the one thing we had to say before we get into the individual picks is that this year the slate... It ain't great, you know. Like, I'm sorry. To <laughs> that's say it, it's crazy like, that that's their tagline too. Tip 2022, the slate ain't great. Says it right on the cover of the book it's, here. It's weird, but I appreciate their honesty. That's a strange tagline, but most years there is at least half a dozen movies that I am super, super excited to see and cannot wait to get to. This year, if I'm being honest, like it's just not. There's just really not one movie that I'm like just cannot wait to see. There's certainly movies I'm curious about, and you know I'm sure there will be some discoveries along the way. So I'm fine with that. But we're still like flipping through the booklet here, just kind of looking at like what's that one thing that I really want to see. And I'll have to say though, as per their usual uh, uh, tactic, all the good movies are running up against each other in the press and <laughs> industry screenings. They do that every year. So even with the just few movies that I'm know I'm excited about, I still have to make 
choices. So it's going to be kind of interesting. But I still got some ones that I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I will also say I did know... I did no prep for this festival this time. I didn't even look at the catalog or what was running before we got here and got our catalog and industry passes. So I had really, I like glanced at the schedule and been like, huh, there's not a lot that's jumping out at me here. So so really, I'm not super well prepared. John and I had like a five minute conversation and then we're like, save it for the podcast. Save it for our scintillating, enjoyable conversation. Let's have it be spontaneous. But so my my picks are going to be a little uh, erratic sounding right now. I think when we go through it. But do you want to do you want to get into it, yeah, John? Well, yeah. Let me go ahead and I'll give my first pick, and then you won't give yours. For the we'll start with the top three that we're most looking forward to. You want to do it that way? Yes, I think let's go top three, and we can go. I think let's go top three and we can go back and forth on it. And if our voices drop in and out, we're recording in a hotel room right here. I am shirtless. John Cribbs has seen me shirtless plenty, but I, I feel like it's a different experience for him. I am and we're comfortably sharing, close to a shirtless Funderburg. Right we, we are sharing. I look good these days. <laughs> I am, uh, and we are sharing a microphone for this recording session. Because we want to report to, to, to you people, to, our, to the audience, let you know what's going on. Um, so, okay, so my number one top pick uh, of the things they're showing this year is uh, a kind of nice little nostalgic choice because uh, back in 2016, Chris and I uh, made what I think is not only one of the best films uh, that we've seen here, but by far the best discovery, like that we walked into cold, I think the best film that we ever saw here, not knowing anything about it, not knowing anything about the filmmaker, and that was The Empty Box, which was made by Claudia uh, St. Luce. And it was fantastic, and I have not heard thing one about it since then not surprisingly you know i don't think there's been any kind of release in the states i mean i don't think there's any way to see it again without you know kind of like pulling the right strings or like contacting the right people uh so i'm super excited that she has a new movie this year at the festival called love and mathematics which um, she has had a few films in between she made a movie called the path of the sun she made a movie called the realm of god which i haven't seen so this is the first time since the empty box that i'm going to be able to see another film by her and so you know again Again, knowing nothing about it, walking in totally cold, but uh, knowing this time that she is like a real talent, like a really special voice. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I remember seeing that movie and feeling like that. Oh, this announces in a new filmmaker with a real voice. A lot of movies you see, whether they're interesting or not, you don't feel like debut movies like here is a unique artist, here is a real artist with a real perspective and a real voice, whether the movies are good or bad. And I'm particularly hard on movies with that, where I sort of feel like even excellent movies are generic in some way and I and I tend to rate them less. It's it's the empty box was exciting in the sense of oh here is a person who I have not heard speak before speaking you playing an instrument that I have not heard and it was very exciting in that way and just got no traction whatsoever it just nothing happened with it nobody's talked about it and it's a a really truly unique movie I again because I just looked at the schedule very in a very cursory way I had no idea it's showing I'm super psyched for that I'm glad I got to to surprise you well I'm basically just going to end up tagging along with you tomorrow 
tomorrow as I sort of put the schedule together. This festival we should also mention with the industry screenings is very top heavy. A lot of people come and just stay industry people. This is very, so just to explain what the Toronto Film Festival is, it's like the industry festival in the sense of this is not a discovery festival by and large. It's not trying to debut movies that are then found and bought like what happens at Sundance or something. This movie is trying to show every movie that matters in an industry sense for the coming year. For Not even the year, like the next seven months. It's trying to sort of be a compendium for exhibitors and distributors and, and streamers and that kind of person to say these are the movies that matter coming out in some way. And so it has a little bit different flavor. It ends up being top heavy because industry people come and they stay four or five days and they leave. So at the beginning of the festival, there's a lot more movies uh, showing than as it goes on later. And they tend to show the important ones at the front of the festival as well. Which is what makes a movie like The Empty Box or uh, Love and Mathematics so convenient because you you get to see it you know late in the festival you know when it's like not one of the most prestigious films but you know it'll it'll show twice as a press and industry screening because it's kind of been pushed back in terms of importance and so you get to kind of discover smaller movies movies from different countries that's like where you can find the discoveries is like later in the festival if you're staying for the entire time but even you know smaller movies and discoveries there also needs to be a warning it is in Canada uh, so um, there is a section they're required to have a certain amount of their program be Canadian they have a Canadian section that is dire year in and year out. This is my, if you're doing tip for the first time, don't get seduced by any Canadian title. (laughs) It will not be worth your time. This year there are at least three movies where the plot is refugees from another country come to Toronto or come to come to <laughs> Ontario some, somewhere in Canada uh, that's literally the plot of three different movies playing <laughs> and and I'm you know yeah I'm sure that that's a fine plot for some people just at being in the Canada section it's already like I'm out I don't think I've ever seen a film in the Canada section that was good have you not even that was like a discovery or excellent. I, I literally don't. Was Monjur Lazar in the Canadian section or was it a discovery? Because that's a good movie, but I, I don't I think like it, it was even. like it had a little even... more like in the one of the top. Kind yeah. Of, uh, yeah, categories. Yeah. But it's 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 dire, and it's and early on I was being like, oh, a David Boreanaz movie, maybe that's interesting. And then, <laughs> oh my God, why did why did what a ludicrous thought that was, top to bottom, to be excited <laughs> for a David Boreanaz movie, a, and then a Canadian one. Yeah, you know, if you there's a guy mad movie, then maybe you lucked out, but otherwise. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like they take the good Canadian filmmakers out of there anyway. It's not like yeah, Adam McGoyan and they David Cronenberg. Contemporary world cinema or one of their you know, <laughs> more prestigious categories, sure. Um, we I feel like we're busting this festival's chops in the city so bad <laughs> that it's an excellent festival. I've got to say, too, I've been to, to a fair amount of festivals, not a huge amount in my life. This is my favorite one. If you ask me, this is the best film festival uh, in the world that I've been to. That, you know, I've probably been to, to 20 festivals total between showing films and, and being sent around uh, when I was still working as a repertory programmer and all that. And it's, it's the smoothest run. It has the highest level of quality across the board in terms of the film shown. It's the most professional. It's in the best, most functional part of the city. You know, just all of these things you want uh, in a film festival. It's just really, really excellent.
excellent. And it's also not like a, um, it's not a festival where you get big timed, you know, mm -hmm. it's not a festival that's about like showing off famous people and, you know, and, and trying to be the cool kids. It's a really no nonsense, audience friendly, fun, accessible, awesome festival. Totally agree. Yeah. But have you been to other festivals? Well, I mean, yeah, I can't compare it to too many. <laughs> but I love the Toronto Film Festival. I, I, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's just great. So my first pick is probably the most obvious one for me, which is the new Hirokazu Koreeda movie, Broker. Uh, to me, Koreeda is... Um, when he's done doing it, everybody is going to look back and be like, he's obviously the greatest Japanese filmmaker of the first half of the 21st century. And just the run he's been on, for basically since nobody knows, is fucking incredible. Um, and Shoplifters is probably the most famous of his movies. But some of the, the, the I Wish, like Father Like Son, Our Little Sister, I love these movies uh, just completely. As much as I love any movie, they are excellent. He stands toe-to-toe. -to -toe. You can, without blushing, put him in the same category with Nerus and Ozu. I, I think it's extremely fair. I don't think it's a um, an exaggeration in any way to, to sort of put him on that level. And so I'm very excited to see his new one, Broker. And in general... I've always seen his new films at Toronto. That's where I see them. I don't see them in the theater. I don't buy a ticket someplace. I catch them at their Toronto because they're generally showing here. So for years and years, all those films I just mentioned, I saw them all here. But you weren't here for his last one, the, the French one, which I call the French one because I was so disappointed with it. I can't even remember its title. Um, but the one that he made uh, last, uh, kind of stepping out of his comfort zone, you know, shooting a film in France, in French. Uh, and it was definitely his most underwhelming effort. I, me too. I've seen Still Walking here. Uh, oh, Still saw, Walking. Yeah, Shoplifters. Oh Air Doll. I saw here. I mean, um, you know, he he's in the running for like you know best modern filmmaker, like against people like Mike Lee and Claire Denis. Like honestly, and I, it just takes one movie sometimes. And and this is a film that he's making in Korean with uh, 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 Song Kang Ho starring in it. And so it's probably unfair of me to say. I'm a little suspicious about this one because, you know, when he stepped out of his box a little bit, he had his most underwhelming effort. I have no reason to think that this one will also be underwhelming, but it does make me kind of a little cautious. So I'm not as excited for this one as I would be normal if he was making a film in Japan. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, um, I think that's reasonable, but I'm, I'm still super psyched this one is is korean uh but i'm still super psyched no reason not to be yeah <laughs> he's just it's been so strong a run it's really just going through the titles just now it's like that's a fucking unbelievable run dude mm -hmm. that's like an altman in the 70s run it's it's incredible Absolutely. what he's done no he's great and he's made enough great movies that you know if he only makes fair to middling films from now on it's going to be totally fine he's already made his masterpieces if he goes on his altman in the 80s run is what exactly. you're saying yeah yeah if he turns into altman in the 80s or even the late 90s that'll be fine i'm gonna I'm be fine with that what is your second pick right. sir cribs is it just poutine is that your second pick for what yeah. you're most looking forward to yes double cup of poutine is what i got oh right my here. god i love eating the street vendor <laughs> hot dogs just slathered with fucking onions and and olives and sauerkraut and the spicy mustard 
so sorry there hold on we got disrupted a little bit i don't know how that's going to be cut how that cut is going to sound we're interrupted by my alarm reminding me to take my medicine i want to tell this story because it's an enjoyable story i was on vacation in florida for a couple weeks and when i came home to my house uh, uh, the I heard the phrase you always want to hear from an exterminator, uh, nest of spiders, that a nest of spiders had set up uh, like under around my bed when I was away. And the first night I slept there, I woke up covered with these itch, just itching. And I had five spider bites on my body from this nest of spiders I had disturbed. And I, they like swelled up. I had a, like an allergic reaction. I had to go to the, uh, to the hospital. And when, they, when I went there, they prescribed me antibiotics for some reason, but they've all gone down. But I have these incredibly nasty little spider bites on me. And uh, it's made John terrified of getting attacked by spiders now, even though it happened to me and the spiders are all dead. Everywhere we've been today, John's like, you didn't bring any spiders with you, did you? Every step of the way. Well, I mean, as Denise Villeneuve, you know, warned us, there are gigantic spiders <laughs> in Toronto. So I'm already nervous about that. <laughs> everyone's going to understand your enemy reference. There's I'll, Everyone's going to be like, Dune? I'll, Dune to that? I'd rather be trapped in a small room with a giant tarantula than have to sit through Dune again. Oh, Dune. Hey, you know what sucks? <laughs> That guy's movies. Anyway, let's uh, <laughs> let's go let's go on to the next thing. We hate Canadians, apparently. <laughs> they just have to earn our trust back. So one of the I've, kind of uh, all they've done to us to hurt us, John. <laughs> so one of the more alluring uh, uh, features of the festival every year is the Midnight Madness uh, programming, which is you know kind of the exploitation films, genre films, horror movies. Uh, that kind of thing. There's always something interesting in there, even though you have to be careful not see all of them, or you're going to end up seeing something like uh, Aftershock, which is one of the worst movies <laughs> we ever saw here. The the Eli Roth starring Chilean earthquake <laughs> horror movie? Yeah, did you love Hostel? Well, you're going to hate him acting in somebody else's movie that's terrible. With the Selena Gomez cameo? <laughs> Was there? Oh, yeah, no, they were at that, that like rave they go to. Oh, dear God. Yeah, and we were like of an age where we were like, like early 30s where we were both like I think that's a famous person when she showed up on screen that's how out of touch we are so for anyone who thinks like oh, I don't know stodgy foreign dramas and stuff the Toronto Film Festival doesn't sound like it's for me there's plenty of like good time at the movies type stuff that they show here yeah and the one that uh, definitely drew my eye this year was um, Sick which is a movie by John Hyams who for I think I'm saying it right Hyams right Hyams yeah right. Um, who is Peter Himes' son, the director Peter Himes, you know, that's a short description of who he is, but he's also the director of the Universal Soldier Movies Regeneration and uh, Day of Reckoning, which are both two amazing, crazy, surreal DTV action films late in this franchise that are just intense and like incredibly well directed and executed incredibly fun and kind of outrageous Gen genuinely films. bizarre yeah yeah both of them are being very very weird in like a really interesting way and i just the other day thinking like because it's already in conflict with my number three pick uh scene sick or this other movie i was like i'm gonna check out his other horror movie that he made a couple years ago alone which is streaming on hulu and it was a tight intense 
very enjoyable film. You know, a story. It's not like a story that's uh, particularly original or like you know something you haven't seen before. But the direction of it is incredibly assured, and it's a fun movie just to sit through, even when it's super super uncomfortable with this guy stalking this woman. So that made me even more excited I, to like I see you. I would describe you movie. as tight and intense, John. Thank you. No, I'm not. You know how I would describe you, John? <laughs> yeah, tell me. You are you are you a larger a than times. life character with a Eastern European style Epicurean larger than life taste. <laughs> I'll take it. That's what you are. You're you're a, a moral version of Gerard Depardieu. You're like an, an Orson Welles, Jodorowsky, Milan Kundera type that is just, you need to embrace it. You need to always be eating a baguette slatter than butter and have like <laughs> brie and, and Serrano ham and a glass of wine everywhere you go. You need to be somebody who drinks from a carafe of wine is what I think you need to do. And everyone's like, oh, he's so larger than life, his appetites. He ate a whole pie. Apple once to match my physicality it's a good this is a good consideration although I think the main thing that separates me from those people is is money <laughs> for people who don't know John Cribbs is like 6 to 280 like John Cribbs is a a big guy you know what John Cribbs looks most like and I know you hate this you look like Baloo the bear you are like a charmingly <laughs> large my personality is like Baloo the bear I'd be fine you with are you should be running higher for higher and I should be your Don Carnage. <laughs> so Sick <laughs> is a new horror film. I, I didn't want to spoil anything by reading a description or anything, but uh, I like this director. I've never been disappointed by him from what I've seen, and it seems like this would be just a fun one to sit, sit into for an afternoon, you know, at the, between kind of the more, you know, highbrow stuff. I think that's a very reasonable one. I, I sort of looked at it, you know, it's interesting. We've talked about this before. Midnight Madness, when we first started going here, felt like all hits. They only do one screening a week. There's only like eight films, nine films in Midnight Madness. It's not a big section for them. And when we first started here, I felt like seven of the nine were great every year, mm -hmm. you know? And something in their Midnight Madness programming has changed. I don't know if they switched programmers. They probably have. But I feel like it's it's been pretty iffy for going on a decade now. I feel it's like it's real switched. hit miss 50-50 type stuff. Yeah, I'd say more like 10% you're intrigued by and like the rest is all yeah. may, maybe kind of thing to it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Although they're also showing the Weird Al movie in it this time, so I'll be going to see that one. But I was looking at the Midnight Madness and I was saying that uh, that the one, the, um, what is it called? Wolfpack Hunting? Yeah. There is a still for this movie, Wolfpack Hunting, and every year in Midnight Madness, there's a movie that has this exact still yeah. that's in the catalog for Wolfpack Hunting. Asian actors in colorful costumes splattered in blood. Pointing a gun, a gun just like near the camera. Yeah, yeah. It's like an ensemble of like crazy dressed guys in like Hawaiian shirts and gold chains splattered in blood, and one is holding a, a gun and pointing it almost at the camera. Yeah, every for the year. First, for the first like 10 years we came here, here there was always like a Miyake film in the Midnight Madness and now it's like you know a step down from like a Miyake usually you know it's like Miyake inspired film yeah it's 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 sort of it's 
I there's so much good genre stuff out there now. I don't know if they have a mandate to not just do what's showing at other festivals. That's not like the midnight stuff that's playing around. If that's like kind of their mandate, in which case that's interesting because they do show the stuff that's stuff that's not playing everywhere. It's not the genre films you've been hearing about all year leading up to this. It's, right. Uh, and you know that's that, I can respect that, but it's you do feel like or I feel like when I look at it now this is not a super strong section for them anymore yeah no I agree with that and maybe sick will be a disappointment I don't know but it feels like it's worth checking out yeah no that's the one that's part of like the 10% of oh that sounds certainly never seen one of his films in the theater so that'll be kind of like a novelty as well yes that will be very very fun and uh, and we've we've had good experiences with Midnight Madness so and maybe just just branching out would be a a good way to go my are you ready for my second pick I'm ready now my second pick I think is probably Probably the most obvious one of the entire festival. I feel like this is the one everybody wants to know about, which is The Fablemans, the new mm. Steven Spielberg movie. And I'm as interested as anybody. You know, he if I'm understanding things correctly, he's announced it's his retirement film and the last film he's doing. Right? Oh, I hadn't heard that. Oh, maybe I'm fucking making it up. <laughs> this is what I had heard, that this is oh, wow. what he's going out on. Well, I now I'm like, I don't know, because I'm not somebody who follows any of that kind of news. Well, me neither, so. Um, but, it, you know, it's his autobiography film I I think like a lot of cinephiles has a somewhat complicated relationship to Steven Spielberg where he's obviously an incredibly great director who's directed some fantastic films but he's also um a crowd-pleasing Hollywood guy with all of the uh limitations and black marks implied by that you know he's he's both one of the greatest directors in the world and a director i admire exceptionally and somebody i had a really nice conversation with thieves highway (laughs) about thieves highway with where we talked about that for 10 minutes and he was very nice when when i got to meet him and work with him and a genuinely great guy and legitimate cinephile and all that but is uh also somebody that is it's I don't know how to phrase this without that without feeling like I'm not giving him due respect he's somebody who deserves all the respect in the world but he's not fucking Tarkovsky or Kurosawa he's just not and putting him in that category in a way that like if somebody wants to argue Francis Ford Coppola is in that category I think that's a coherent argument it's not one I necessarily agree with but Spielberg's in the George Lucas category he's in he's in some different category and I do think there are moral philosophical aesthetic limitations to Hollywood cinema but at the same time he's one of the most amazing people to ever do it so I want to see this movie and this movie feels like to me what I'm interested in is a what if of (laughs) and it's funny because people would be like what about Schindler's List or the times he gets serious and to me it's like no those are still like Hollywood things in some Mm -hmm. fundamental way this feels like what if he tried to be an artist primarily and not 
a filmmaker. That's what it feels like, is like some kind of alternate reality. What if he attempted to be something he's never attempted to be before? And I sort of, in my heart, believe he's capable of nailing it. Yeah. I, I do sort of have this feeling like he actually could have been Ozohunarus or Koreeda, you know, if he had tried to be that, but he just was the Jaws guy instead, you know? But he's the Ready Player One guy. That's just a different universe of that stuff. As much as you can like the West Side Story remake, it's just a different thing while giving it all due respect. And it sort of feels like alternate reality. <laughs> what if he was a real artist? Yeah, well, it's definitely, you know, intriguing to see him do something that's not Ready Player One. It's something that he's, like, obviously going to be, you know, something that a slam dunk or a populist sort of thing that everyone expects him to do. If this is really something that's an intimate story about his uh, background, his family, you know, kind of uh, autobiographical narrative, then, you know, it's definitely something that I'm curious about, even with fucking Paul Dano in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a chance it could just be... Again, like Cinema Paradiso, which to me is like a very effective moving movie, but it's also but it's also super maudlin. You know, there there is something fundamentally Spielbergy about Cinema Paradiso that I find to be insincere. I'm trying to talk about all this. I just know like I don't mean to I don't want to antagonize anybody. I, I don't wanna be shitting on anything that I like in this way, but I, I do feel like if you can't see the difference that I'm talking about in sort of mindsets, uh, then we have nothing to talk about and fucking turn off the show. Turn off the show! <laughs> I think you're being antagonistic <laughs> at all, actually. Until then. <laughs> um, that, so that's my second pick. And I'm, I'm, I'm as excited as anybody to see it. Yeah. I, I would say that this is a film that we just recorded recently an episode on the Indiana Jones tetralogy uh, with, with Bill Tech and John Arminio. That won't come out for a bit. And I just have been in a Spielberg mood. I've been excited for it. I watched Catch Me If You Can with my son recently. And, you know, I've just been, I've been, I've been feeling Spielberg-y recently. He's, he's an incredible blocker and stager of scenes. He's just an incredible technician, uh, which is, again sounds insulting, but he's just incredible at constructing shots and scenes. He's, he's just... If you wanted to say he's up there with Kurosawa as far as technically constructing scenes, I would agree with that, mm -hmm. you know? And that's as high a compliment as you can give to a filmmaker. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really curious too. And my third pick... Uh, is also one that a lot of people are talking about and certainly one that people are going to be lining up for. Uh, it's the Darren Aronofsky movie, The Whale. As yeah. you already mentioned, I'm, big, I'm a big fella. And, you know, like, <laughs> oh, John. I'm, I'm curious about, you know, movies that are going to, like, touch upon that and have, like, a big fat protagonist in them. You are an Eastern European-style Epicurean with larger-than-life taste. You are not an American sad sack. There is a huge difference. <laughs> Don't try to change my narrative on <laughs> I am Brendan Fraser in The Whale. Or maybe I am. I don't know. I don't know how this movie's going to be. I have a, a similarly complicated uh, relationship with Aronofsky where I... In that he directed your all-time least favorite would movie? Not call him a, I would not call myself a fan at all. 
But he's made movies that I'm like, I, 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 I kind of like that movie. I kind of have like a weird relationship with that film. I, I not they're not you know the ones where he tries to actually do something like like a Black Swan or you know even earlier with Pie and Requiem for a Dream. I mean those things that feel like him trying to be an artist when he's not. I like when he's like a lot more kind of real world the wrestler you know kind of film and even without the kind of ridiculous like religious subtext parts of mother where it's just kind of about the domestic situation michelle fiverr coming in there and treating jennifer lawrence like a cat batting a mouse around before it kills it <laughs> like that stuff is really good and i enjoyed that stuff and this is going to be kind of like more of a grounded sort of domestic drama with brendan fraser as a big fat guy i i could have like some sort of a religious experience with this film i feel i don't know maybe i'm putting it up too much but i'm kind of curious about what it's going to be like yes i think that's fair i think that's very fair you you have multiple times i don't know on the record called the fountain your least favorite film of all time (laughs) which i saw toronto (laughs) which you did see at toronto uh although for a while there you were calling little children your least favorite film of all time as well (laughs) that was in in the running for it mine is of course we discussed today what do i think the worst movie ever made is uh it's the batman yes the batman is the worst (laughs) movie ever made um uh, yeah, I'm I'm also interested in this. I love Brendan Fraser. I love that he did. You and I have been huge Brendan Fraser fans before his renaissance. You know, you can go back and check our tweets. We were we were like Brendan Fraser people like eight years ago. Like this guy's just great, just <laughs> likable before it, it sort of became in vogue. So it is very heartwarming to see the second act happening with him. I used to try to impress women by telling them I'm working on a movie with Brendan Fraser. That <laughs> used. <laughs> have credit people like that (laughs) really brendan fraser yeah um yeah so i'm i'm interested in that one too i I like the wrestler huge amount which i saw at toronto and i had not heard a word about the wrestler and i did not have high hopes i I, that might be the only aronofsky film i like Mm -hmm. uh mother is an interesting car crash but like i really dislike most of his movies uh in a pretty pretty profound way um i'm sure we've talked about black swan before Mm -hmm. where it's like uh you watch that movie and it's crazy to me that this movie's idea is like, what if you were so awesome at dancing that when you like dance pretending to be a swan, you turned into a swan? Isn't that terrifying? And it's like, I'm not awesome at anything. This <laughs> this terrifies me 0% to be so awesome at, at pretending to be a swan, you just turn into it by dancing. <laughs> what if you just dance, you were just so awesome, it ruined your life. It's like... This is this is a narcissist psychotics fantasy. <laughs> this is the fantasy of someone who believes himself to be the most talented person in the world. And I would say you see that in a lot of his films. They're movies made by somebody who sincerely believes himself to be the most talented person who ever lived. And that is, of course, their downfall because he's not even uh, top 50,000 filmmakers of all time. <laughs> Yeah, he probably cracks the top 50,000. And just having that little um, Carpenter anecdote about Cronenberg where he slams Aronofsky so perfectly. He's like, <laughs> well, I'm not going to be against Carpenter on this feeling. I'm going to be anti-Aronofsky Carpenter. Yeah, Carpenter's like, let the geniuses go be geniuses. And you're like, oof, <laughs> how can you recover from that, man? <laughs> uh, and hopefully recovered by making the whale. Hopefully. That's my hope. That's my hopeful on that. We'll see. Um, my third one is a little... But it runs against uh, 
The, <laughs> the Hams was... movie. No, the Hams movie. movie. Yeah. Oh. So I might not actually see it. We'll see. It's going to depend. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it's coming out pretty soon. So if I miss it, it's not going to be. You always do that. You make the decision of it's coming out soon. Like I remember when I saw the um, Matt Damon Soderbergh movie. What's that movie called? Not The Liar. The CIA guy. <laughs> oh, oh, Men That Stare at Goats? No, no, no. The Matt Damon. Oh, oh, The Informer? The Informer? Yes, The Informant. That was coming out like four days after it was Toronto, and I saw it, and you were like, there's no way I'm watching this, The Informant. <laughs> Sometimes you got to make these decisions. I think that's a good way to base it on. If you can see it a week later at, you know, the mall, then why not? Um, because uh, Triangle of Sadness is one that a lot of people are hyping up, and I'm like, yeah. oh, I have already seen the preview at the Regal, so I know I'll be able to see it there, you know? <laughs> that is the saddest shape, too, for sadness. Is it? Yeah. Worse than an oval, even? The hexagon of sadness? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Rhombus of sadness? <laughs> the dodecahedron of sadness. I know. These are not particularly sad. Triangle of sadness? Oof. Oh, God. It's only three sides. I can barely hold back the tears just hearing that title. <laughs> it's a triangle of sadness. The preview was very off-putting. It was like, slams the 1%, the elite, the rich people, and it's like, fuck you, what have you been doing? Well, fuck off, man. <laughs> But that might just be the marketing for American audiences, you know, who knows? It's a triangle of sadness, John. I definitely did not like Force Majeure, so I'm not, like, super excited to see it at any rate. I liked Force Majeure, but really? I saw it, yeah, I, but I saw it before there was any, like, heat behind it. I saw it when it was still unknown, and it was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't like the uh, the next one. Mm, the Square? Is that what it's called? Square of Sadness. <laughs> um, that's me. I'm the square. I'm the square of sadness. <laughs> Just kidding. No, wait, square. I'm the Perry Mason of love. You are. I never lose. True. Um, my You're third. Not the Gilligan of love. I'm not. I'm not the F troop of love. Uh, my third choice is, I think, a little weird for me. I think this will surprise you. It's Decision to Leave. The part. No, I'm not surprised movie. at all. In fact, I was like, huh, I would be up for seeing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a filmmaker that I, I. I don't know, that I really loved. I saw the first Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance uh, before Old Boy. Old Boy sort of blew him up internationally, and I liked him as sort of an Asian extremity extreme horror guy, which he was sort of being lumped in mm -hmm. with at the time. And even Old Boy, if he really eats an octopus, he was sort of getting lumped in with like the V cinema, Mieke, Sano type. Extreme Asian cinema. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That sort of thing. The, the Shinya Tsukamoto types he was getting lumped in with. His reputation has changed a lot since then, obviously, and he's become more of a international art house auteur type. But I still like him, and by and large, I like his movies, even though I think his filmography is extremely lumpy and variable, and even a movie I like, like Old Boy, I think is, is a sort of lumpy, not fully successful for its whole running time movie, you know? Yeah. Um, and I do. I like The Handmaiden quite a bit. Uh, eh, but he's all over the place. And and I think also when the pressure is on him, like with Lady Vengeance, is when he sort of flop sweats the most, too. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I feel like for whatever reason, the pressure's off him again <laughs> with this one. So I sort of have high hopes for it. In some it way. sounds like a lot more intimate and not, not balls out crazy than some of his movies. So I kind of like the idea that he would do like a smaller sort of story. Yeah. 
for sure, for sure. And he's an interesting director. He was attached to direct one of my my favorite books, Donald Westlake's The Axe, for a long time. And I always thought, oh my God, I'm going to be so excited when that comes out. Obviously never did. And I think I just have some residual like, I'm still super excited for his next movie. I think he's, he's the classic interesting filmmaker. Although I have to say, you have your book open right here to a still of it, and it's the fucking Bergman (laughs) half-face from Persona that I hate. So I hope there's not too much of that shit in there. Um, You know, like I said, I don't know... I know very little about these movies except sort of thumbnail description, who directed them, who's in them. So I'm basing a lot of what I'm interested in seeing on past experience with people for this. Yeah, no, and a lot of the experiences at the festival inform, like, well, man, I want to see this because I saw that guy's first film here, and this is his fourth film. And, like, we have, like, a tradition of seeing that person's film, you know? Yes, for sure. Certain actors popping up, and you're like, they're like my, my, my festival buddy. I gotta go see their movie. Yeah. Um, next, are we going to do most to avoid or wild cards? I'd say there's a lot of like, like honorable mentions with this. Like, yeah. like Mia Hansen loves new movie. I'm very interested in. Sarah Polly has a new movie here that I'm interested in. I want to see very Glass Glass despite Onion. The, despite I do. <laughs> I, I yes, I want to see Glass Onion. I'm Glass interested. Onion's in got that. a great cast. Uh, there's a new Ulrich Seidel. He's another one who I've seen tons of his movies here at the festival. Yes, He's for got sure. a new movie called Sparta, which apparently is the conclusion of a, a diptych that he's made that I, I was not aware of. That's all of his movies. You see it, and it's like the third part in a four-part series, and you're like, what? I watch, two parts. I watch all of his <laughs> fucking movies. When, since when is this a series? Yeah, uh, there's a new Jafar uh, Panani film, No Bears. Yes. And uh, I wasn't a big fan of his until we saw his movie Three Faces here at the festival. And it was one of my favorite movies of the year. It and it completely so changed my thoughts on him, which were like, he's okay to like, he's extremely talented. There's a new Martin McDonough movie here. Yeah, that which I'd like I to started see. to watch the preview and shut it off. I was immediately like, damn it, I wish I hadn't seen the preview because he makes the kind of films that like are fun surprises if you know nothing about them. So like I kicked myself for like even trying to find anything out about it. Yeah, and there's a new Joanna Hogg movie with Tilda Swinton that I'm going to watch on Marcus Penn's behalf because he's Joanna Hogg super fan. That's good in his absence to check that out. Yeah, I do say, like, I feel Marcus Penn's, like, third mic, third man absence mm-hmm. a little bit here. Of course. It's been a long time since you and I have just done a duo at the Toronto Film Festival. A long time, absolutely. And then um, the other one that I'm excited for that you've informed me I won't be able to see for scheduling conflicts is Henry Selleck's new movie, the the director of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. I might James be wrong, and the Giant but, Peach. Uh, but you might get to see it. But that's there's there's good there's stuff a, here. Also, there's also a Western with Nicolas Cage, Butcher's Crossing, which is based on uh, the kind of cultish Western novel by John Williams that I know David Lambert is kind of a fan of. So I'm kind of curious to see what they do with that. I haven't read the book myself, but if I like the movie, I will probably check out the book. This all sounds good to me. Uh, are we going to do the three we, we absolutely don't want to see? <laughs> yes. And I've already mentioned, you know, it's kind of like a week slate this year. Just cursory glance, looking over stuff, it seems like, you know, there are no home, clear home run hitters here. But in terms of the stayaways, it's just kind of my usual stuff. Like, I'm not going to go see an Emily Bronte biopic. I'm not going to go see a finished film called My Sailor, My Love, that has a tagline, It's Never Too Late to Love. <laughs> I'm not going to see a modern-day reimagining of Carmen. 
Uh, you know, th- this stuff I'm obviously going to stay away from. I've never experienced any Lena Dunham film or any Tyler Perry <laughs> film, so I'm in no danger of seeing those. And I'm certainly not going to see what if it was a called, new Sam Mendes movie. What if it was called The Jazz Man's Blues <laughs> by Tyler Perry? <laughs> That's also a terrible title. Um, but the one I'm probably not going to see for any reason is The Woman King, which... On you know you see that it's you know a new movie by uh, Gina Prince Blythewood and you're like oh yeah I, I like her I'm a fan of her and then you find out it was like spearheaded by Maria Bello. It's like Maria Bello's passion project and it's so weird. What's so fucking weird about that movie is that it's like the Dahomey's the the Dahomey's that's not way to phrase it the Dahomey the Dahomey Kingdom were slavers. Yeah. The people who are being um, uh, idolized in this movie. Movie essentially extended the slave trade because when by attacking Brit- villages and capturing people for the slave trade. Yes, and when abolitionists in England tried to end the slave trade in the early 19th century, they refused because they were making too much money. They essentially extended the slave trade for another several decades until actors within the kingdom found came up with a plan for England to just buy palm oil from them at a price commensurate with what they were making from the slave trade and that's the only way it could end it like they're vi- like Europe is the big time villains in the slave trade <laughs> these guys are like you know they're you know John I thought you said you were going to kill me last they're they're that guy if if the slave trade story is commando which is a tasteful thing to compare it to they are that guy in this movie. What's that character's name? I can't remember now. The bad guy in Commando. No, the second one. I thought you said you were going to kill me last. I lied. <laughs> David Patrick Kelly. There's Sally. Yes, there's Sally. <laughs> the the Dahomey Kingdom is Sally to the Europe's, uh, you know, uh, guy in the chainmail vest. I can't, how come I can't fucking remember? The Bennett. The Bennett. <laughs> is that coherent enough and tasteful enough? To me it is, for sure. <laughs> tasteful enough? No, it's, it's it's a weird thing to see them valorized. It feels like it feels it feels it feels gross in its own way as if you saw like you know uh, Belgian slave like if Cobra Verde was supposed to be an unambiguous hero you'd be like I don't like this at all quite right. frankly it's almost like why am I why am I reading for the British guys in Zulu sort of situation <laughs> uh, but you know even without like the historical kind of remodeling of you know the story it just looks like Black Panther. Like, it looks like a Marvel movie version of, like, you know, like, History, I, don't, yeah. I don't need that, you know? Like, I like Viola Davis. I'm glad that she's got a starring role. She, she's got, you know, three starring roles every year. But, uh, yeah, this just does not leave a good taste in my mouth. Yeah, it seems, it seems pretty... Uh... It seems it seems really fucking offensive that movie from a few different angles. Yeah. And I agree with you. I don't like the idea of like what if it's history but we marvelize history for some like vague I don't even know what the the idea is behind it. Yeah, yeah. Not not my cup of tea. Um, do you, what's one that you were going to stay away? Are you still <laughs> leafing through and making? Yeah, I'm looking through. I mean, there's a lot of them where it's sort of when you. When I'll you, give you another one. How yeah. about how about Judy Dench, in a put on a concert to save the geriatric ward of a hospital movie. I I will definitely not see that. I mean, no no offense. <laughs> no offense. I'm describing Alleluia. That's the name of I the will film. definitely not see it. They have a whole TV section where they're showing TV shit here yeah, too called yeah. Primetime. I'm not going to go to any of that. No, no, for sure. It's, that's a weird kind of 
corner of the festival that I've never, never participated in. Yeah, but I'd say that in in general, you know, I haven't gone through the schedule enough to be like, oh, God, no. And there's not in in the gala, which tends to be like the section where they put the sort of like iffy big films that, that sound like a problem, like the, the Warrior Queen. Is that what it's called? It's called The Woman King. The Woman King. I got it. I... Yeah, it was like I mad libs it, but uh, (laughs) it uh, that's something. That's the kind of movie that's in the gala presentations, that kind of iffy stuff. And it's that is like it's a bunch of movies I'm not super interested in. But there's nothing that's like oof, the way there normally is, where it's like you know, best exotic marigold hotel two. Yeah, again, I don't have like a strong opinion on not seeing these movies. I mean, (laughs) it's like I'm not going to see my policeman because. I have no. I'm completely culturally ignorant of Harry Styles. I don't want to start now. I'm too old. Let him do his thing and when he yet, becomes a movie star. And yet you're going to see the David Bowie movie. <laughs> what? What's that going to do with it? He's like a famous David Bowie like knockoff artist. Oh, is that what? Yeah, he, he just like steals David Bowie shtick. Nothing about the guy. Um, at all. Here, uh, we forgot to mention that Herzog has a doc in here too, which he I'm does? excited to see. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, it's called Theater of Thought. Oh shit! I totally yeah. Missed we that. always see a Herzog duck up here. Weird. I did. I missed that somehow entirely. But for my avoided section, you've definitely mentioned a lot of movies that I will avoid seeing. <laughs> yeah. I think that I think that that's. Um, I mean, these are pretty. pretty these are pretty fair to say. You know, why would I want to see these? <laughs> <laughs> what are your wild cards? Okay, so my first wild card is actually I just attended our good friend Marcus Pin's son's first birthday, and while I was there. And uh, this was a conversation I had when I was already a little bit drunk, so I did not get the name, gentleman's name or his relationship to Marcus, but he was a very <laughs> nice guy who said uh, his nephew shot a movie this year, was a cinematographer, and I was like, oh great, what's the name of the movie? And he said, he looked it up and said, it's called Blind Willow Sleeping Woman. I was like, okay, I will see, I will try to see that. And uh, looked up here in the uh, catalog, and here's the description of the movie. A lost cat... A giant talkative frog and a tsunami help a bank employee without ambition, his frustrated wife, and a schizophrenic accountant to save Tokyo from an earthquake and find meanings in their lives. Oh, uh, that sounds like a movie I'd be curious to see. What yeah, it's all that about. sounds cool, man. Yeah, so I was glad that somebody, a stranger, recommended a film. I uh, don't usually get a lot of recommendations on my way up here for films I haven't seen, but uh, that kind of slight recommendation of somebody I know worked on the movie led me to look it up, and I, I'm intrigued now. I'm actually curious to see this film. I'm going to wonder what it's all about. Um, that seems very reasonable. Uh, that's now I'm interested in that one. <laughs> Uh, my first wildcard pick is Self-Portrait as a Coffee Pot, which is um, apparently a self-portrait movie by an artist I love, William Kentridge. He's a South African animator, is what I know mainly know him as. He does these beautiful charcoal drawing animations. They're normally sort of installations. That's where I've seen them, but I'm a really huge fan of his animation. This movie appears to be some kind of documentary animation self-portrait hybrid that uh it's one of those things that 
I read about it, and I'm not sure if it's just a straight-up documentary. I'd be up for that. I don't really know what it is, but I'm going to see it. I'm interested in I, this. Is, I like Kentridge a huge amount, um, and basically I'll give this a shot. This will be a wild card. All right. Well, yeah, you've already fanned of the artist, but I get that, you know, it's any documentary could be a wild card. Well, I've is seen, it, especially of, if it's a documentary that it seems to be him incorporating his own work and being yeah. about himself and all of that. So yeah, that it the, could be spectacular if it's as good as his other work. Yeah, and I remember seeing the Tommy Ungerer uh, documentary here at the festival several years ago. Really enjoyed that. He's an artist I love. So that's always pretty. Uh, it's probably a pretty safe bet. Yeah, well, I think it's. I think it could go any way. Either way, I, I definitely don't want to just see an artist biopic. <laughs> That's why it's a wild card. If it's just gotcha. him, if it's just a regular documentary, I'm not interested. <laughs> My second uh, pick is a film called Manticore, which is a film by Carlos Vermut. Vermat, <laughs> um, who made uh, the movie Magical Girl in 2014, Spanish film that uh, is really interesting. Not, I don't love it, but it's 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 definitely he's got a voice that's that I find interesting. And this new one sounds interesting. That's all it is. Is that I haven't kept track of him since then. So almost been ten years since his, since that film, and I haven't seen the ones in between. So I want to pick up with him on Manticore. It seems like an interesting movie. That sounds good too. Yeah. I am. I am definitely. Um, that was one that jumps out. That's one that's sort of got a good title and good stills for it. Yeah. When you're thumbing through the catalog, you're like, "Oh, what's this?" Mm-hmm. A lot of the films in in the catalog. That's another way you sort of thumbing through the catalog is one of the joys because it's massive, glossy thing with with good big photos. Oh, just that really sort of you see a you see an image and you're like, "Oh, I'm curious because of the image." It really does work that way. And a lot of the images are super duper generic, though. Yeah. That that's the thing. Is well, you know what I just realized just now is that we didn't get our little flip flip uh, book that has the schedule, the P and I schedule in it, which we get every year. It makes it super easy to see. You know, well, and just I, carry around. My, this what is the I, first time we've never got one. I noticed this year they're trying very hard to go paperless. You have to ask for the physical catalog this right. year. They had the little QR code thing to get the schedule and everything. I think they're trying very hard to go paperless. And Neanderthals like me and you were like, no way. Give me the thing. Well, I didn't think to ask for the book. <laughs> I don't think they have it is what I'm trying to they say. They might not have it at all. I, I was looking around for it, and I, I think they did not produce it. I think they're trying to go paperless. Yeah, I mean, there might also be budgetary concerns. I mean, they didn't give out bags or anything, you know, this year that they usually do. They usually give you the swag some bag. goodies, some little, little tiny swag bag that has, like, an eraser in it or we, whatever. One year we got Axe body spray. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes um, there's a little Hershey chocolate or something like that. Uh, tickets to uh, like coupons to all the various pizza places, Canadian-based <laughs> pizza chains. Exactly. My second wild card is a movie called High School, co-directed by Clea Duvall and Laura Kittrell. And it is based on Tegan and Sarah's autobiography that they wrote. And I'm a really huge fan of Tegan and Sarah. I have no idea if that's surprising to people. I'm shocked. Yeah, John was making a face like I had no idea i really really like them a lot and um this is about them growing up in calgary my parents lived in calgary for a of of, a measure of time for several years and something about this it's like that could be that could be nothing whatsoever uh but it also could be something that just hits me right in the right spot i like these artists the sort of tegan sarah the musicians i have no idea 
If you know who they are, listeners, look them up. If you don't, uh, I think you'll be as shocked as John that I'm a huge fan of them. Um, but, you know, this movie could be, it's like a high school memoir of them being in high school. That could be nothing. But I also feel like we've had really good luck with, like, baby blues and, like, seeing movies here about high school women's coming of girls coming of age stories yeah. that we've seen like a, a higher than usual amount of unexpectedly good movies in that genre so I maybe have some residue from from those movies from like mall girls and, and baby blues you have successfully surprised me I I was planning on secretly seeing this movie and not telling you about it. <laughs> so sure was I that you'd be like, why the fuck would you want to see that? I'm really surprised to hear that you're a fan of those guys. Yeah, they're great. Wow. They're great, okay. yeah. Okay, well, I guess I don't have to sneak into the theater to see that one. And I, you know I'm a huge fan of Clea Duvall and Can't Hardly Wait. <laughs> I, she's phenomenal. It's Clea Duvall. Screw on Buffy. I remember that. I do. I remember that as well. <laughs> Um, means she'll be a great director. Whatever. Oh, definitely. That's fucked that up means. that you think otherwise. <laughs> Being an asshole. What's your last wild card? Wild card! So I've got kind of two. One's called Hawa. It's a Bengali film about a fishing trawler that picks up a woman in the middle of the sea and then it leads to ominous things. That's is a very kind of vague description that sounds like, huh, that could be kind of an interesting plot. And the other one is a Canadian film. If you can believe it, I'm going to roll the dice on this one. What? It's called Night Talk, one T in the middle, Night Talk, one word. And it's by apparently legendary Canadian director Donald Shabib. Oh my God, but of John... How can you fall into this trap? Every one of those bios is like director of 12 award-winning Canadian features, eight-time eight-time Genie Award winner, Doug McLean. That's the guy. <laughs> and you're He's like been around since the 70s. Yes, he directed the seminal Going to Town. <laughs> I just I don't know. I think every year this will be the one. This will be the one that turns out to be really, really good. <laughs> uh, director of the seminal The Cow Town. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, because the Canadian films all get two press and industry screenings, Jer- Jeremy goes swimming. Impossible to miss. <laughs> they are. They are. They are. They're the the ink black heart of <laughs> the Toronto Film Festival. They're the the Sarlacc pit. They are the the inescapable void of the Toronto Film Festival. <laughs> you find yourself sitting in one of their Canada presents. Tops of Canada things, talking yourself into, this will be all right, and then you leave to go get lunch. <laughs> 30 seconds into it. Sure. Yeah, or have a little nap. I mean, you know, sometimes <laughs> the festival can be pretty exhausting. Sometimes John, you find yourself in a not very interesting movie, and you're like, thank God, I just need to close my eyes for 20 minutes. <laughs> but I'll wake up for the sex scene. You know what I'm referencing, John, which movie exactly. <laughs> um, you, and that's a reference to you, John Cripps. Uh we also should mention, John and I, you can see as many or as few films as you like at the festival, obviously, on the industry pass. John and I traditionally go and see six or seven movies a day, every day, for eight or nine days, <laughs> it should be pointed out. We see a shit ton of movies here. We have a particularly packed festival schedule. I obviously take Sunday afternoon off always to go to church and, and uh, pray to my, uh, my the gods of Doug Peterson. Tegan and Sarah. <laughs> yeah. No, to watch my 
my Philadelphia Eagles on the Sunday. I take a little time off for NFL football, but otherwise we watch a really jam-packed program. I feel like my endurance is going to be tested this year for the first time. I'm older. Yeah. It's been three years since I've been here. I, I still have anxiety about going out in society, even just to see a movie and things like that. So around yeah. crowds. So it could be, you know, I might not be in for like a full slate of movies this year, but it kind of maybe pace myself a little bit, especially later in the festival, but we'll see. That, we'll see that surprises me because I always think of you as an Eastern European style Epicurean with larger than life tastes <laughs> and just your appetite for cinema. You sit back I'm with a, your carafe of wine. Cin- I'm a cinema hedonist. And you're like, let me tell you about cinema. I mean, you slosh from your carafe of wine and you have like a group of young, shaggy college age kids at your feet sitting on your, your shag uh, cart rug that you have in front of your I fireplace. Always, I always get up and say something to everyone before the screening starts, <laughs> uninvited. <laughs> I we seen... are here together, cinema goers. <laughs> and always rapturous applause. <laughs> the audience is skeptical. They're hardened, cynical industry insiders. You give your little speech and applause every time. You get more applause than Brendan Fraser at the screening of The Whale. That's how That's much true. applause you would get. Yeah. They're long. Yeah. 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 Canadians love the standing ovation. <laughs> That's one thing we should mention about these festivals too is they're not like um, filmmakers and the uh, and and stars in the audience thing with the industry stuff. And in fact, it's it's taboo for a filmmaker to come up and speak before the press and industry screenings. They specifically don't want they're pros. They don't want somebody trying to like schmooze the audience and work the room. They just want people to see the film. And I remember when we saw Hostel, Eli Roth got hopped up in front of the press and industry screening and like got booed a little bit and sort of he finished his thing and got all the way through it. But he was very shocked because he's such a room worker and such a charismatic guy. I could tell the the shtick he had been doing that had been working everywhere, he was very surprised to run into this steel yeah. door of like professional like a South by Southwest type crowd who yeah. were like excited just to see him. Yeah. But he was like, and like, he was be like making apologies for yeah. like, you know, the film not being finished and yeah. some more technical corrections that they needed to do. Yeah. And it was like, we don't want to hear this guy. Yeah, it was there was a real like off the stage kind of somebody might have even said that to him from the audience. Yeah kind of attitude which I like I Mm -hmm. like that about this festival I don't after my year's repertory program I do not get give a shit about famous people I don't care about seeing them I don't want their autographs I don't want a photo I don't want to stand near them nothing interesting happens around famous people it's boring they won't remember you you won't have any meaningful interaction with them getting a photo I just want to go on the record you're a fucking loser if you get a photo with a famous person. Leave them alone and let them have their lunch. Just <laughs> just be like, there's that person. I'm going to let them go about their day. <laughs> well, that will be tested this year as well because receiving a, like a Lifetime Achievement Award, some kind of thing, is uh, the legendary Michelle Yeoh, who, if there's anyone who I would just want to be within 500 yards of her like aura, it would be Michelle Yeoh. I am not going to stalk Michelle Yeoh while we're here. I'm just saying... Wow, that's 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 a celebrity I'm actually impressed by the fact that I'll I'm be impressed. within the same city I'm for, impressed as the same by time. celebrities. I like these celebrities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just who gives a shit? Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm going to the festival for all this time. I mean, you see so many famous people that you really just become numb to it. Like, oh yeah, aren't you? I prefer my stories where it's like I saw Maggie Chung on the street and street in the Upper West Side, and I left her alone. Mm-hmm. I think that's a much better story than I bothered this poor woman who moved to America specifically to get away from being a celebrity. Yeah, sure. It's a much better story that oh, I I'm saw on, them I'm and I left them alone. I would never approach a famous person in the street for any reason. But they loved I've coming up to that. you at the bookstore. We were just talking <laughs> about Harmony Crane and Parker Posey and all your, your buddies from the bookstore. Yeah, well, that was cool. Everyone just wanted to buy books. Everyone liked books. <laughs> I, I hear that Harmony Holly, Corinne wanted Holly much just, more from you. Holly Hunter just wanted uh, to buy a Dostoevsky book, and I had just read it so I could talk to her about it. Which one? Of Rose Karamazov. Oh, man. Yeah. She rules. She's the best. She was super nice. I saw Vera Farmiga on the train once, and it was really hard for me not to talk to her about Milan Kundera because I just read an interview with her where she was talking about how identity is her dream project to adapt. Oh, man, that'd be amazing. Yeah. But you know what I did? Your choice, though. You ignored her. I left her alone. Yeah. I let her take her fucking Metro North train ride <laughs> and stare out the window, oh. and she was not bothered by anybody. Vera Farmiga should be, like, you know, chauffeured everywhere. She shouldn't have to ride the train. She's a woman of the people. <laughs> she's she's real she's real yeah yeah Yeah. this is also before she was super famous i mean i don't know how to judge her level of fame (laughs) this was like a running scared paul walker era era farmiga um my final wild card i mentioned it it's weird the weird al yankovic story uh which i would like to see that one feels like it could go either way it does feel like it has sort of walk hard vibes, as everybody's pointed out. Uh, as big as a Tegan and Sarah fan I am, I am an even bigger Weird Al fan, like all right thinking Americans. I consider him a national treasure, as Kurt Cobain said, and I, uh, yeah, I love him. And the movie looks funny. It looks, it looks like in a good vein. I don't Kurt know. Cobain if it, called him a genius. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know if I can, uh, if it can compete with UHF, but it'll be, it'll be fun. Well, it's funny. Because... I'm interested to see it feels like it could be a ton of fun or it could just be flop sweat well it's it's interesting because i was i mentioned earlier to you they did this funnier die preview several years ago with uh, aaron paul playing weird al yankovic and i think it's olivia wilde as madonna and uh, Patton Oswalt as Dr. Demento. And, you know, they treat it like it's a real music pick, but it's like Al Yanko being, Al, Al being booed on stage and going, you're oh, a bunch of slaves, you know, and like yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And when I saw the preview for this, I was like, this looks exactly like that funnier die oh, preview. Oh, weird. And, and it was one of those things where it's like, wow, Reggie Watt is now doing what he was making fun of, like for real, you yeah. know, kind of scenario where it's like, this is this is bizarre that this happened. And then I actually read somewhere that they were like, oh yeah, that preview was super, super popular. They decided make the movie like that. So I think that this is what it's going to be. It's going to be like, you know, that, like a funnier die type movie. Oh. Because I was, because I was like, when I took this seriously, when I heard they were making like a biopic of Weird Al, I was like, Daniel Radcliffe, he's not even trying to do the voice. Like, this is yeah. not going to be very realistic. But then I see the preview and it's like his affair with Madonna. And I'm like, okay, all yeah. right, I got it. So we're, yeah, we're doing one of these. Gotcha. So it could be, yeah. But but at the same time, when I saw Alan, Weird Al in concert, this my buddy Al in concert <laughs> this year. Uh, he, oh, weird. He's clearly like very proud of the movie, kept calling it my movie. You know, he's involved with it. So, like UHF, it could be a funny fucking movie, you know, that he, you know, had a hand in and it could be good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see what it is. Do you think Michael Richards is in it? Uh, (laughs) 
that would be a nice callback for sure. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think he's going to be in it, He John. performed UHF at the concert. He, uh, and Mike, afterwards, my wife told Michael me, Richards, that's my favorite Weird Al song. Michael I like, Richards I respect that. ruined his career. I don't think he's going to be in it, John. <laughs> I don't know. He's still on the Larry David show after that. Is he? Yeah. I don't know anything about shows or careers. <laughs> It shows what I know. Yeah. They'll have to recast Stanley Spadowski, I guess. <laughs> Knowing who played Michael Richard in the Andy Kaufman movie when they did the Fridays bit, they should get him back to play Michael Richards filming UHF in the Who movie. did? Uh, I have no idea. I never saw Man on the Moon, so I don't know. Uh, it's somebody interesting. God damn it. Is it Norm? Oh, it might be Norm McDonald. Yeah, yeah, it's somebody interesting. I never saw the movie, so I actually don't know for sure. But yeah, I think they, now that you mentioned, I think you're right. Yes. I guess they can get Norm McDonald back. Sadly. <laughs> uh, that made you myself sad, right? At the son end of, the of a bitch. <laughs> I this... can't stay sad in Toronto. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. I segue to this. What What are your top three things to eat while you're here? Uh, well, I mean, I usually grab a slice of pizza between screenings. No, no, no. Um, and now you have to remind me of the name, uh, Jake Astors. Jack Astors, Jack Astors, you are a big fan of. Jack Astors. I've been here in three years, you know, and I'm old. I have no memory. But they have, they make an amazing um, cheese bread that is delicious. Yes. So I'm really excited for that. Where is your favorite place and to And I eat? always feel guilty about eating in front of Mark, poor Marcus, you know, who is diabetic <laughs> and could not eat it and loves it. And I always felt bad ordering it. But how am I not going to order it? Are you, you're going to get poutine. As of course, well. of course. Do you like it with the like bacon bits on it? Do you like the sort no, of chicken curry? No, no, you no, like get all that shit out of my face. Old fashioned, yeah. cheese curds, the gravy, the fries. That's all we need. And do you when? Because do you? I know you don't drink coffee. Do you get the Tim bits from Tim Hortons? I don't. No, you don't. You don't get anything at Tim Hortons. Do I used you? to have breakfast at Tim Hortons every morning. What, what, yeah. One year when we were here, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Marcus and I would always go to to Tim Hortons. The very Canadian thing to do. Do you? Are you going? You're going to get some street sausage, I assume, with me as well. Of course. And eat some hot dogs from a cart, right? That's the idea. So can it's street sausage? This is making a joke. <laughs> it's making a joke, my man. But that does remind me of my favorite Toronto story, which we were just discussing earlier. And which... many people think that the streets of Toronto are paved with sausage. <laughs> in which uh, we were walking in front. Is it Harvey Burger? Is that the name of that place? <laughs> in a seedier part of town. But the three of us were walking, me, you, and Paul Cooney. You're going to tell the story. And yes, I need this story on the record. This is a beautiful story that encapsulates our feeling of Toronto. And there was a puddle of puke on the ground. And I almost stepped in this puddle of puke. And as I sort of moved forward, like, whoa, don't step in the puke, something flicked across my leg. Like, I thought I got hit. Did I get hit with a, a cigarette? But what the fuck was that? And what did you hear at that point? Because you only heard at that point. I was walking ahead of you, and I only heard this very unsettling cackling, like, <laughs> and coming from the darkness. Of the darkness of a doorway <laughs> several feet from us. And I looked over, and there was a street-walking prostitute with her hand up her vagina, up her skirt, and she had flicked her tampon at me, which had hit my leg and scuttered across my leg for that. And uh, that was delightful, of course, as a germaphobe to have that happen to me. And I and it caused my back foot to then drag through the puddle of puke. 
from it. I was so knocked off balance through it. And I had, of course, only bought one pair of shoes with me to Toronto. So I wore the puke shoes for the rest of it. And I had also only brought one pair of jeans. And of course, you watch it out in the hotel sink when you get home. But that's, I was, I was clad in that for the rest of the festival. And it's, and it's the most beautiful and tender memory I've ever wanted to share with anyone. Dear God. And I'm glad you were there for it, John. <laughs> I'm, I'm you, got glad you, the, you got silence of the lambs there. <laughs> um, I this this is not this is not a regular occurrence in the city. Of can we can we put this episode up? I feel like I've legitimately been out of my mind for this whole thing. Is this? Can we put this up? Up to you, my man. Oh my goodness.